Morning, morning. I see you, my wife. Bless you. You may be seated. Yes, I was looking for her. Thank you, Candace. As she said, my name is Josh. I'm an elder here in Brooklyn. Uh, and I'm so glad to be able to do week two of our Soul Detox series, where we're talking about cleansing our soul from, uh, from things that are impeding us getting to get close to God. And I was not here last week because for the first time, my wife and I served on the kids' team. Yes. So we were taking care of the chitlins, and that was fun. And if I would not have gone to kids' team, I would never have learned that I have a middle name. See, my, my birth certificate does not have a middle name. But according to Xander, Scott and E's uh, two-and-a-half-year-old, I have a middle name, and my middle name is Danger. <laughs> so my name is Josue Danger Santiago, and I'm thinking about changing it legally because it sounds so cool. And I don't know where he got Danger from because I have never been in a safer environment than kids' church. There's a bunch of toddlers running around in the room, and then we sit down and have a lesson. I'm like, where did he get danger from? And I want to paint you a picture, because what they do is, is they separate the two halves of the room there with a curtain thicker than this. It's darker, you know, but similar to this. And they, they go wall to wall, and they have the babies on one side, and they have the toddlers on the other. And... What this does, it serves a couple of purposes. What it does is obscures the children's vision so they can't see the babies. Hence, it, it reduces their distractions. But also, it creates some kind of mental barrier for them that they instinctively know, I can't go past that wall. So it's all over there, and, and they stay in this room, and this material stops them from getting to the other side of the room, and it stops them from seeing. And while some barriers are great, and I think that they did this for a great reason, there are barriers in our life that are not so great. And we are talking this week about removing barriers to knowing God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, 17, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Ephesians being Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And Paul is probably the best known of Jesus' disciples after he was uh, resurrected because Paul writes the majority of what we call the New Testament. He says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly asking God to give you spiritual wisdom and insight that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Now, when I see that word knowledge, I have a particular picture of what knowledge is. I think acquiring information. But the Greek word here is epignosis. And epignosis means perception, discernment, recognition, intuition. And none of these four words have anything to do with acquiring information. These words have something in common though. They are an experiential knowledge that you learn something by experiencing it. 
I perceive something. I discern something. I recognize something. I intuit. And I think that is the correct word. You are, exper- you are feeling something. And the website helpswordstudies.com breaks this word down as a compound word meaning fitting knowledge gained through first-hand relationship. And they use the phrase contact knowledge. Fitting knowledge gained through first-hand relationship. In other words, you acquire this information because you come in contact with this thing or this person. It's not just they give you information, you have experienced this thing. And what I get from this is that God is less interested in that I learn concepts and ideas about him. He is more interested in that I incorporate these concepts and ideas into my life. He wants me to experience him and not just learn about him. And this is a different kind of knowledge. And there are barriers in our lives that wish to obscure who God is, that we cannot fully see him or see him vaguely, or they create an artificial barrier that impedes us from getting close to him. So we want to get rid of these barriers. Now, some of these are the ideas that we have misconceptions about God. See, barriers impede your vision. They form boundaries you cannot go beyond. And I can't really know God unless I know the truth about God. Just like if you have misconceptions about me, and trust me, people have had many. I am born and raised in Brooklyn, and I am a Puerto Rican, and they have already made up their minds who I am many times just by looking at me. I get on the train, and I almost can tell who thinks I'm going to mug them. It's, It's just that's the way it is. But if you have misconceptions about a person, you cannot really know them. And if you have misconceptions about God, you cannot know him fully. If I can't see all of God, I can't know all of him. So we're going to talk about in the next couple of minutes just some of the barriers that some people have in trying to know God. And this might not be your barrier, but you might have another. And we'll reference that. The first barrier is very personal to me. Because it was my barrier for many years. And it was with the, it's that God the Father is like my father. Now, I, I, I'm going to be as, as transparent, as vulnerable as I can be. And I don't normally talk about this. But I have to give you a picture of my dad. My dad was and is, first and foremost, a businessman. He loves to make money. He loves the art of the deal to the degree that he sat me down in a restaurant and he told me one day, if my mother messed with my money, I would have no qualms about taking her to court and suing her. Now, I do not know if that's true because he never met his mother. She died when he was a child. But I'm going to tell you, he lived like that was true. I was never a priority to him. I always took a back seat. If I was lucky, he would throw me a bone. So when people began to speak to me about God the Father, well, the only context I had for a father was the man who was married to my mother. So I believed that God would not have me as a priority. 
I believe that God had so many more important things to do that if I was lucky, he would throw me a bone and I could hope that maybe he would make some time and maybe he would give me something good every once in a while because I was not that important to him. And this is the vision that I had of God when they began speaking about God being my father. Now, I know this might be difficult for some to hear. Uh, you know, and scripture does say that we should honor our fathers. And I believe that I do honor my father. And I'm going to tell you a couple of things that I had to do. Number one is I had to forgive him. For every fault, real or imagined, that I had about him, I had to decide to forgive him. Especially as an adult, because I cannot continue to blame my father for my life today. I cannot continue to blame him for the things that go wrong in my life. They may have impacted me, but I cannot continue to blame him every time something goes wrong. If my father just would have bought me a house, I would be okay. If my father would have gave me that car that he promised me, I would be all right. These things don't fly. You know, once you reach a certain age, you are responsible for yourself. So I cannot continue to blame him. I had to forgive him for everything that I thought he did or that he really did because I could not grow unless I forgave him. And the other thing is that I had to renounce the lie that God the Father was going to treat me like my earthly father was going to do. I had to renounce that. I had to say, no, this is not the truth. He is not that type of father. So if the barrier is God the Father is like my father, what is the truth? The truth is God is the epitome of a loving father. He richly cares and provides for and protects us out of his deep love for us. And I want to read some scriptures that really describe who God the Father is. Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, I'm reading from the New International Version. Matthew being the gospel story that one of Jesus' disciples writes, and he writes to the Jewish nation. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, Jesus makes a couple of interesting statements here. Number one, I'm, I'm sorry. Number one, he calls us all evil. He does. Because in comparison to God, we are all evil. In comparison to God, we are all lacking. We are all selfish to varying degrees. We are all weak. We are really imperfect but he recognizes that even though we are not perfect, number one, he still loves us. And number two, that we still have the capacity to do good. Because he says, even you being imperfect, you can still give good gifts to your children. When they ask you for a need and bread and fish, that's a need, he says, you'll do it. Most parents will do that. If your child has a need, you will supply their need. And he says, you being imperfect, if that's how you treat your children, how much more will the perfect father in heaven give you good gifts when you ask him? And, and let me throw this in. Stuff you need, not stuff you want. Just, just want to throw that one in. But sadly, for some of us, uh, we didn't even get a chance to ask our parents because they were never around. 
So we couldn't even get a no. And, and the, the, the sad reality is it seems more and more increasing that children are being left to their own devices, that children are being abandoned, that children, whether it's emotionally or physically, that children are being left to be wards of the state or being left to be educated by our school system, however it may be. I don't know if you've ever felt emotional abandonment. I have. I don't know if you've ever felt what it's like to be disregarded by your own family. I have. But Scripture says in the book of Psalms, chapter 27, verse 10, Psalms being the song and uh, prayer book of the Hebrews, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Even if it is possible for a parent to abandon their child, even if it is possible, and it has happened, for a parent to renounce their child, to denounce them, to reject them, whatever it may be, even when that is possible, the Lord will receive me. God will receive me. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more. God will not only receive you, God will seek you out. And not only will he seek you out, he will go and he will fight for you. You know, and, and, and I want us to see this because I, I got a feeling I'm going to start preaching a little angry soon. And I'm, 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 I'm going to warn you right off the bat. Isaiah chapter 43, starting with verse 3. Isaiah being one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. And he prophesies of the coming Savior, Jesus, 700 years before he is born. He talks about how God feels about his people. And I'm reading from the message paraphrase, and I'm saying that because the message Bible is not a translation. That's just the, that's just the Bible teacher in me. But he says, and this is God speaking to his people, the God who made you in the first place, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you, and redeem means to buy back from slavery. I've called your name, you're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am your God, your personal God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt and more. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade creation just for you. Now, I have a feeling sometimes, because this does happen to me, that when I read certain passages of Scripture, I read them dispassionately. But I want you to understand the passion and the heat that God is feeling when he says this to his people. I think that most of us are very peace-loving, passive people. I think we are. But where are my parents? I want all the parents to raise their hands. There you go. There's quite a few of you here. I want you to sit down and imagine this. That somebody comes into your house and tries to kidnap your child. I want you to imagine somebody breaking into your home and trying to do harm to your child. Oh yeah, here you go. I want you to think about somebody coming in, grabbing your child on the street and trying to run away with your child. Are you going to be dispassionate? Or are you going to do whatever you need to do to get your child back? 
I don't have children, but let me tell you something, and I think I'm a very passive, peace-loving person, but if you try to hurt my wife, I will hurt you bad. I will do you wrong. That's right, because this is how God feels about his people. If somebody tries to separate you from him, he will do whatever he needs to do. He will pay whatever needs to be paid. He will go wherever he needs to go to get you back because he will not be separated from you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much you mean to him that he will get angry and he will go. And if he got to pay a ransom, he'll pay a ransom. If he got to beat somebody down, he'll beat somebody down. But you are his property. You are his child. And he's going to do whatever needs to be done. Oh, yeah, there's no shadow that he won't light up. There ain't no mountain he won't climb up coming after you. But there ain't no wall he won't kick down. Wall he won't kick down is not passive. Wall he won't kick down is like the movies when the cops break into somebody's home. Boom! I'm coming in. Jed, baby, come on. Tell me you won't kick in that marine training if somebody tries to mess with Mary Beth. You know that you're going to go right back to being a marine and somebody's going to get hurt. As the eagle said, they're going to be a heartache tonight. A heartache tonight, I know. Because that's how God feels about you. He is not passive. He is not sitting back, leaving you to your own devices. If something is creating a barrier, he's going to break it down because he loves you. Another barrier that may be a problem in some people's lives is the idea that I don't need to have a relationship with Jesus. I just, I just need to believe in him. You know, I just need to believe that there was a man named Jesus, and he was a good man. He was a teacher. But this idea of having a relationship with him is, is kind of ridiculous, that I'm supposed to devote time to him and, and, and seek him out. It's, it, that's foolish. Well, if that is the barrier, then what is the truth? The truth is that Jesus calls us to discipleship, and through following him, we discover the heart of God. John chapter 8, John being the book that the youngest disciple of Jesus wrote, and he writes his gospel story to the first church. I'm reading from the Common English Bible, 831. Jesus said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Then you will know the truth... And the truth will set you free. So Jesus says, for you in order to be my follower, my student, you will truly be my disciples, my followers, if you remain faithful to my teaching. Now I want to preface this, because God is not looking for perfection, because he knows we can't give him perfection. God is looking for intention. That you are intent on following him. That you are motivated to follow him. That you are desiring to follow him. If you remain faithful to his teaching, if you incorporate his teaching into your life, if you are his disciple, then you will know the truth. The truth will be revealed to you. You will experience the truth. And that truth will set you free. That truth will set you free from whatever barrier may be rise, risen up in your life. 
whether it be an emotional barrier, a spiritual barrier, that truth of getting close to Him, of incorporating His words into your life, will set you free. Jesus is not a magic word. Jesus is not like, you know, abracadabra. Oh, what's the word that Harry Potter uses? What is it? So you guys, you guys are geeks out there. I know you know it. Come on. Where is it? Who knows it? There you go. Jesus is not that. You know, I'm going to walk around. I'm going to be like, oh, I'm waiting for a cab to come. But it's not coming. <laughs> Jesus. And the cab rolls up. And trust me, I've done that, so I know. <laughs> or, the, or the one where you get stuck in an elevator and then you really call Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But his name is not magic. And I'm going to say something that's going to shatter or bother a couple of people. In and of itself, the name has no power. Because I know a lot of people that are named Jesus, which is Jesus. And trust me, they ain't got no power. In fact, all I hear is their mother saying, Jesus, you dumb little... You know, uh, there is no power in the name in and of itself. But there is power in the person, the Son of God, who that name was given to when he became a man. And, and I want to show you in Scripture, Acts chapter 19, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, and Acts being the book that records the story and the experiences of the first church. It says, uh, the, the people were taken by the miracles that were going on by the Christians. They were watching the Christians pray for sick people and they were getting healed. They were watching the Christians uh, pray for demon-possessed people. And they were being liberated. Yes, I said demon-possessed people. I know we don't talk about that a lot these days. But there is a spiritual world and a spiritual warfare still going on today. And there were people who were afflicted with evil spirits. And they would watch the Christians pray for them and they would come out free. And then a couple of them said, well, you know what? I want to do what they do. But I don't think I need a, a relationship with Jesus. Acts 19, verse 13. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you, which means to make them swear or to force them. I adjure you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Well, first of all, I don't want to hear any demon-possessed person talking to me, but hey, <laughs> that would be beside the point. Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who the heck are you? And this one man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I'm just reading what the Bible says. I'm not making this stuff up. One man, using an evil supernatural power, took on seven men and beat the snot out of them. 
And as we say in Brooklyn, he sent them busted and disgusted down the street. Could you imagine these seven guys, they're walking in and they're like, I'm going to cast this evil spirit out oh, in the name of Jesus. And then two minutes later, they're like, <laughs> running down the streets. Because the name itself is not the power. It is the man himself that is the power. And when I am connected to him, when I am in relationship with him, when I am his disciple, when he by his spirit lives in me, then that power becomes my power. And I'm not reading this to make anybody afraid. Trust me, if you have the spirit of God, a thousand demon-possessed people can come running at you, and in the name of Jesus, they will all run away. Because scripture says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So they can say and do whatever they want. I have power over them because of Jesus. And finally, I think the one that maybe, me, maybe is the most confusing for some people is the idea that we have a Holy Spirit. And the barrier is the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of the power of God. Now this is a tricky one because the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of the power of God. But I threw in there merely because sometimes people think that the Holy Spirit is just the power of God. Because the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as being revealed as fire or as water. And they say, well, this is an inanimate object. It is a force but the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. We believe in the triune God, who is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it doesn't make that much sense. But this is how the Bible describes God. So, <clears throat> thank you. This is my wife, by the way. Hey. She's been watching this go on for 20 plus years, so she knows the routine. <laughs> so it is sometimes difficult for people to connect to the Holy Spirit because he doesn't make sense to them. But again in John chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 and verse 26 in the NLT, Jesus speaking, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. An advocate here means lawyer, that he will defend you, intercede for you. And then notice it says, he is the Holy Spirit <clears throat> who leads us into all truth. And then it says, him, 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 he. And then verse 26 but when the Father sends the advocate, my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. Now, I know this is weird because in this day and age of intuitive apps, uh, I think some of us call Siri she. In fact, we have named our GPS. Our GPS's name is Lola. And Lola takes us... Some weird route sometimes. She is not a good girl. <clears throat> but sometimes we, 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 Siri is a she. And while Siri can teach me and remind me, 
Siri cannot advocate for me. She cannot. She cannot defend me. She is not an AI that can understand what I'm going through and fight on my behalf. And then <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Uh, Romans being Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And he says, the Holy, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us. So while Siri can recite a prayer, maybe tell you the Lord's Prayer, Siri cannot pray for you. And then finally, in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to Ephesus again, in the CEB 430, don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. I could tell Siri bad jokes all day long and she won't get unhappy with me. But you can make God unhappy. And I know that nobody wants to hear that. In relationships, we being flawed human beings sometimes mess up. And even in our relationship with God, we can mess up and we can make him unhappy. Well, obviously, Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, not so that we would remain in that situation, but that we could immediately go back to him and ask for forgiveness and be reconciled to God. But you can make God unhappy. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a he. He is the third person of God. The thing that you feel when you're worshiping and you get this intense sense of being connected to God is the Holy Spirit. He is in the midst of us. He makes Jesus real to us. If it was not for him, we would not comprehend any of this stuff. But it is because he, he is alive and well and moving in our lives. So what can I do if I find a barrier? And, and let me be straight up. These might not be your barriers. But I want you to think about what makes you cringe when you think about God. What makes you uncomfortable when you think about God? Or do you have a completely clear, he always loves me, he's always going to do the best thing for me, Every, you know, I, I don't have any doubts about him at all. If you have no doubts at all, please come and tell me your secret. But sometimes people talk about God and aspects of God and you go, ooh, ow, I don't know if I like that, I don't know if I believe that. And that's okay. God understands that. But whatever your barrier may be in getting to know the fullness of God, seeing Him clearly, a couple of things that we can do. Number one, we need to recognize that there is a barrier. That there is something about God that makes me uncomfortable. That there is a teaching about God that makes me uncomfortable. That either I don't believe, I don't receive, I don't comprehend, whatever it may be. It's okay. Acknowledge it. Secondly, understand that this is a lifelong process. It is realize it's a process. The great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, God is in the Manger, he said, while it is good that we seek to know the Holy One, it is probably not so good to presume that we will ever complete the task. I have been saved for 37 years. I came to know Jesus when I was 17 years old. 
I still do not know God in his fullness. I see a lot more of him than I did years ago, but I don't know all of God. I continue to endeavor to know him more and to know him better. But this is a lifelong process, so it's okay if you're not in a place where you think I should be further along. Don't worry about that. It is a lifelong process. And finally, just be open to God. Ask him to replace the false ideas in your life. You know what? People keep saying this is the truth about you. I don't understand it. I don't believe it. I don't receive it. But I'm open to you speaking into my life. I'm open to you changing the way that I think. Because with a greater understanding of the heart and power of God, we will get to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is an obscure verse in Matthew 15. Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark 15. Mark being the gospel uh, story that was written to the Romans. And Mark describes Jesus as a man of action, as a warrior. And there's this really obscure verse, and I'm reading from the ESV. It says, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So we said, while the curtain, the wall in children's church is great, there may be other curtains and barriers in our life that are not so great. And in the temple in Jerusalem, on the day that Jesus died, there was a curtain that separated what was called the Holy of Holies. It was the room in which God was supposedly dwelling in, that he lived in. And nobody could go in there except once a year. And it was only one person, and he had to take blood from a sacrifice. And this wall, this curtain, was 60 feet high and 30 feet wide and 6 inches thick made out of linen. 6 inches of linen, 60 feet high. And Mark says that on the day that Jesus died, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, which means somebody had to get 60 feet up in the air and take it from the top and start to tear at it from the top of it. And I can't even cut this. There you go. And start ripping it from the top to the bottom. I don't know anybody who's 60 feet high. I don't. Not even our giants that we talked about a couple of months ago was 60 feet high. But you know what happened? On the day Jesus died, the barrier that kept people separated from God, that they could not fully see him, was torn apart. The barrier that told people you can't get close to God was torn apart. It was as if someone said, I'm tired of you being separated from me. I'm tired of you not seeing me, and I'm removing this from us. God the Father has removed every barrier. God the Father is tired of you being separated from him. God the Father is tired of you not seeing him for who he is. And he wants you to see him. And he wants you to know him. If only you will dare get close to him. If only I will dare to get close to him. The barrier is down. The wall is broken. 
And maybe your barrier is, I don't know this Jesus that you keep talking about. I don't know him. I, I haven't had a desire to know him or I've been confused about him. That's okay. But maybe right this moment, the Holy Spirit, who is God, is putting a little tingle in your life and making you feel like, I think this would be a good thing. I think he might actually care about me. I think he might actually want to know me, really. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads, close your eyes. If you have not known this Jesus, if you have not known the Savior, this is a moment where you can just right there where you're seated, just shoot up your hand and say, I want to know him. Or I want him to know me. And your loving father will come running to you. He will kick down the door. He will climb up the mountain. He will turn on the light. He will pay whatever ransom needs to be paid to get you back. Just shoot up your hand right there where you're seated. Say, I want to know Jesus. God bless you.